I think one of the key things is, you know, a coach is someone that you pay to help you achieve specific results, whereas a mentor has a higher vested interest in your success, you know, so they know who you are. This is season two of the One-Eyed Man podcast. And as you know, we've been talking about social entrepreneurship and part of our journey has been figuring out exactly what that means. What do we mean by impact? What do we mean by social impact? And how does it show up in the world? My guest on the show today is Nsiki Mkize. Now, Nsiki and I met on the set of a Liberty event, uh, actually a virtual conference that was shot against a green screen very uncomfortable in that circumstance, but she was absolutely remarkable. She was the MC for the event. I found out afterwards that Nsiki has developed this public speaking career and this incredible comfort as an MC, not in any small part based off her success in the Miss South Africa pageant in 2015, where she placed in the top three as a second princess. Nsiki's primary focus, though, is social impact and social entrepreneurship. She runs something called the Mentor Network, which is a mentorship network focused specifically on uplifting young women in the business place and in communities in general. We spoke about a variety of different things. We spoke about her focus on mentorship, what mentorship really means to her, why she believes it's important in the world today. We spoke about her experiences with the pageant and subsequently working with different clients and developing her speaking career and about her hopes for what South Africa can be, what this place can be off the back of her mentorship vision, off the back of her social impact vision and into the future. I hope you enjoy the show. So before we get into the very important topic of this organization that you've created and the impact that it has, there's one very serious order of business that we need to cover. And that's the Lamington's recipe that you put on Instagram the other day. Yes. Because of you, I haven't been able to think of anything else for the past three or four days other than Lamington's and tea. So I feel it's your social responsibility to publish that for the community around us so that we can all partake in the same culinary experience that you did on Instagram. No, definitely. So I'm in like my experiment phase, right? I actually got the the Lamington's recipe off of Margaret Hirsch's page. And I love Lamington's. I just think they're ridiculously expensive for like six in a tray. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to make yeah. this thing myself and it's going to be great. You know, my family's really nice. So I genuinely don't know if they taste good, <laughs> but um, I feel like they could have been softer. Like they're not as soft as the ones in the store. So I'm working on it and I'm going to cut and paste a few things from the recipe and find something that works with like minimal ingredients and minimal effort. And then I'll share that recipe with you. <laughs> from a feedback perspective, I'm happy to be an audience of one for future Lamington's experiments. Definitely. I will keep that in mind. And when I make my next attempt, I will swing by a delivery to your house. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. All right, my friend. So thank you so much for taking time to chat to me today. For those people who might be listening today who aren't familiar with your work, I mean, you wear many, many hats, right? And you're involved in a number of different initiatives. I've worked with you on the professional speaking circuit. There's a sense when, when we read up about you and, and when I see some of the work that you've achieved that there's this real central purpose around the theme of mentorship, right? 
And to that end, you've, you've written this wonderful book, which I understand was published last year. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that journey and your mentor project and why it's such a big part of your focus? Sure. So I'm a big believer in living a life of purpose on purpose. And I think I was quite fortunate to, in my early 20s, come across a mentor who introduced me to this concept of a portfolio life. So in the tech era where people can delegate so many tasks, where you can do one thing during the day and another thing at night, where you can have one job and outsource your skills to another part of the world. You know, there's just so many things that technology has enabled us to be able to do. I started designing this portfolio life that was a reflection of different things that I was interested in, but also as an entrepreneur and trying to figure out how being in business by myself was going to work and wanting to be a speaker. And my parents constantly reminding me that I needed to make a salary. And I was kind of also pushed into creating this portfolio life. And on that journey, I've been able to find lots of different mentors who've helped me set up different support pillars, who've helped me think through certain concepts, who've helped me create stability and navigate Mm -hmm. my journey. And there's a quote by John C. Crosby that says, a mentor is a brain to pick, an ear to listen, and a push in the right direction. So from that perspective, I really think mentors are really helpful in giving you a helicopter view and perspective of where you are and helping you see your blind spots and supporting you through that. And I've really had the benefit of a lot of really wonderful mentors. And at the end of my Miss South Africa reigns, I I was second princess for 2015. Throughout that year, I had a lot of young girls sending me messages on social media asking, you know, hey, how do you become successful? And it was almost always phrased in this way that sounded like I just woke up successful. And I thought that was such a deception because I, I didn't. Like I thought about it and I was like, I'm successful now, but what people see are the fruits of the things that I've been working on for years behind the scenes. And so I sat down and I did an audit of all these fantastic mentors that I met and the different lessons that I learned from them. And I started putting that together and it turned into this book called My Hall of Mentors, Lessons Learned Along a Journey of Success. And the reason why I subtitled that is because I really do believe that success is a journey. You're constantly discovering new parts of yourself. When you set goals, you achieve the goal. And on the other side, you find new goals. Um, I find that sometimes you reach goals sooner than you expected. Uh, Sometimes Mm -hmm. you surprise yourself in what you're actually capable of doing. And so whatever may have been previously limited goals expand as you work on things, you know, so it's really a journey of becoming successful. And I shared those lessons. It's like really simply shared what was happening in my life when I met those mentors, because I also wanted to dispel the idea that you only get really amazing mentors when you are a celebrity or when you've had access to a platform like my South Africa or anything like that, because the majority of my mentors were people I'd met before I did the pageant and were people that I met independent to that, you know? So I really wanted people to know that regardless of your circumstances and your background, you can find fantastic mentors. And so I wrote the book and I self-published the book with the help of a platform called my ebook, hoping that young people and my peers would read it and would be inspired by my journey of success and would also be inspired to go and find their own mentors to support them in the things that they want to do. And post that, I've since done my master's in social innovation. So, you know, in the business space, what I'm most passionate about is business that creates social impact and social change. And so I've now set up Mentor, which is a 
global mentorship network specifically aimed at supporting female social entrepreneurs. So that's really where my niche and my passion is going forward. You know, so when I think about the things I want to speak more about, the things I want to facilitate more on, and the kind of thought leader content I want to produce, the space I want to play in, it's really centered around um, social entrepreneurship and more so, I think, around women in that space because women are already the backbone of so many societies. What is always, you know, complex when it comes to delivering social impact through through a platform like that. But t- talk to me about uh, Nsiki and, and the stage. I mean, did, were you always somebody who loved being in the in the sort of spotlight at school? Were you were you on the stage? Did you love public speaking? Where did that come from? Where did that spark sort of start? I did actually. So funny story is in my book, I speak about this. One of the chapters dedicated to my mentors is my parents. I consider my parents to be my longest running mentors and including my grandmother as well, who's since passed on. But I remember when I was young, I visited my grandmother and I just spoke so much. And I think she just got tired of me. And she was like, you know, and Pepereza is not like a real word. It's more like on a metopia about speaking too much, you know? And she was like, yeah, Peperez, I'm like, and I think it was supposed to be an insult that made me stop talking. And instead my highly energized extroverted child took that phrase and owned it. And when my parents came to pick me up, I was like, dad, and I literally just ran around with him. And there was no need. It just, I had just discovered this new word and I was like, I like it. This is what I do. You know? So I think I've always been that kind of child. I've always put shows on for the family. I'm that child when guests come over. I come into the lounge and I'm like, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The show's about to begin, whether you guys want me there or not. And I have lots of stories that people feel like repeating back to me about what happened when I was a child. And I'm like, guys, don't hold me to that. Okay, I don't remember. But I think that was me as a child and my parents nurtured and encouraged that in me you know so they allowed me to do school plays they encouraged me to enter school plays and things like that I did I stood for in primary school I did public speaking and debating in high school so the space of speaking has always been something that was interesting to me because it's something I enjoy doing in my personal capacity and it was really great that I was able to discover channels where you could do it more formally you know and use a natural skill or talent and convert it into something that you could create a career around. Um, and so those were my, were my first introductions to, in, I suppose, engaging the world through platforms. Did you feel like that gave you a significant edge when it came to your experience of the Miss South Africa pageant? Tell me about what you learned through that journey. Cause I mean, that's not something that a lot of people get to go through and I'm sure it's quite an emotional and physical roller coaster. It is. It is literally, I think a lot of young girls prepare for it from a, maybe a little bit of a mental, but very physical, you know, they're like, I I need to look good in a bikini and, 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 and I think a lot of people miss the emotional side of the preparation because it is such an emotional roller coaster. It also takes up a lot of your time, you know, so from the moment you submit your entry form until you hear back and then go through workshops or whatever they might have set up, if you become a semi-finalist to the end, I think, it probably took up about seven months of the year. So it really is a long-term commitment or engagement with your emotions over that particular period. 
And so I found that to be very interesting, very exciting. It was great in the sense that it introduced us to a lot of people, you know. So you have this great pageant and the sponsors are large corporates and their executives are involved or brought in for you to meet them. And as a young girl who's, you know, just in varsity or who's just finished varsity, this is your first opportunity and you're like sitting at dinners with CEOs that you would never meet like in your personal capacity. So I think when I think when I think about a background where I've been on stage or have been given the opportunity to hold my own in certain conversations, when you get to that space, you kind of feel more confident. You know, you're you might be doubtful or unsure in certain things or exactly what to say. But I think the continuous experience of speaking and being on stage and so forth allows you the opportunity to better know how to manage your nerves. And how to feel confident in at least I know how to just be on stage. Never mind what happens next, but I know how to be here and make it look like I belong here, you know. Backstory is I actually entered the pageant three times in a row. So I entered my last year of my undergrad and then I made it to semifinals and got eliminated. The second year mm-hmm. I was doing my honors and I entered again and I made it to semifinals and got eliminated. And the reason I'd waited until then was because I was sure that if I wanted to win, I didn't want to have to go back to school and finish my qualification. You know, I sort of wanted to be done with that part of my life. So I made it to semifinals, got eliminated. And the third time around, I wasn't intending on entering. And a friend of mine just said, give it another shot. And they told me to tweak a few things, which were, you know, things that are highly contested and I mean, the pageant has evolved since then, but yeah. And so I did. And I remember mentally being very committed to the fact that I wanted to win and I was going to see the thing through till the end. And I think there's a a very big difference between thinking you can do or be something and knowing that you can do or be something. And so they said we'd call you at the end of November. And November started, November was going, and I hadn't received a phone call. And I remember so clearly that last week of November, a girl that I know from Pageant Circle sent me a message to say, hey, all the semifinalists were on idols the night before and so she says you know I guess we didn't make it and I'm a big believer in the power of words and that your words create your world so I said to her you know maybe that's just some of them they're probably still going to call us and then that same Wednesday she sends me a message and she says the formal pictures for all the semi-finalists have been released on Facebook so I go to the Facebook page and I check and definitely all semi-finalists are there and again I said to her okay good luck but I'm gonna wait for my phone call and I'm pretty sure she thought I was crazy and that Friday and I mean November was ending that Sunday Friday I get a phone call and this lady's like hey you know three girls got eliminated your name has the next high score are you still available and then I got recalled into the competition so I literally went from being I think it was 1062 at auditions to not being shortlisted and then to be recalled into a competition and then being a semi-finalist, the finalist, and then top five that night answering the questions and then top three, which is, I mean, I think when I look at it, it's, it's such a phenomenal story, but it's also like, even to myself, almost a little unbelievable. Cause I think you talk about the power of words and you talk about um, being intentional about creating your reality. And it's almost difficult to, reconcile that with something that's out of your control, you know, because I mean, certain things are definitely out of your control. There's not much you can do about it. But I think consistently in my life over and over again, I've seen intentionality show up and prove itself correct. Hmm. 
And I mean, you spoke about how that world has evolved a little bit since you journeyed through it. Is it something you'd advise somebody who is interested in going through the process to do today? Or how do you feel about the pageant today? Yeah, I mean, looking at the rebranding this year, I think it looks absolutely phenomenal. Like I was saying to a friend of mine the other day that I wish this was the year that I was entering because it just it has a whole new feel. They have so many new inclusions and less restrictions that I think are more representative of not just South African women and African beauty, but the movement of where women are in general. You know, so last year or maybe it was the year before that there was a huge thing around them having the first first lady who entered was part of the LGBTQ community. I can't remember exactly what her association is, but that was a big thing. And people were like, you know, can Miss South Africa do that? And I thought that was quite a phenomenal thing for them to be able to do, because that's not something that kind of platform would have done in the nineties, for example. So I definitely think being more representative of our society and of women, I would definitely encourage any young woman who's interested in entering the competition and just being part of that experience to do it, you know, and to do it not to win, but to do it for what the experience is, what you will learn about yourself through that process and how you will grow in that process. And I think there's very few life experiences that can give you that much growth in such a short period of time. So if someone's interested, they should definitely, they should definitely do it. Okay, cool. Now, these experiences, the, obviously the studies that you focused on, some of the individuals who were significant role models in your life all sort of led you to this converged place where you focused on mentorship as, as kind of your your contribution to the world and, and the mentor network is, is a big part of that. How do you think about mentorship? You know, cause that's a word that gets thrown around quite a lot. And I think different people interpret it in different ways. Do you differentiate mentorship from let's say coaching as an example, or just kind of general leadership? How, how do you think about mentorship you know, as it stands in its own right? Yeah, I definitely do differentiate mentorship from coaching. I think one of the key things is, you know, a coach is someone that you pay f- to help you achieve specific results. Uh, but oftentimes you find that throughout that coaching process, it's more them helping you reach the solution that works for you, them helping you come up with something that resonates with you. And it's less instructions to say, you know, this is what you should be doing. Unless your coach is somebody helping you set up systems and there's very specific things that go with setting up those particular systems. Whereas a mentor, I find, and your coach also doesn't have to be your friend. You know, they can literally just, I mean, it's, it's helpful that you guys have good chemistry, but they're there to coach you to help you achieve a result. Whereas a mentor, the chemistry of the relationship is important. So you guys being able to connect, being able to have a good relationship with them is important. A mentor is a person who also has a higher vested interest in your success, you know, so they know who you are as a person, you know, they know who Mike is, they know what Mike's values are, where he wants to be, the things that he wants to accomplish and whatever aspect of your life they are supporting you through, they do that mindful of the bigger picture of who you are as an individual. And so that's one of the things that I kind of see mentorship as, and also see it more as a a long-term relationship. You know, I think a coach is 
specific to a certain point, you know, so you can outgrow a coach, you can reach your end result and then not need that particular coach anymore. Your business can grow and you might need a new coach who understands the new size of your business. But a mentor, you know, if you're, for example, getting a mentor to help you in your personal relationships and how you engage or to help you build confidence and things like that, that's a longer journey that you take with that particular individual. And I think in terms of leadership, you know, I do think that certain mentors certain leaders can be mentors, you know, so you don't always have to know someone in person for them to be a mentor to you. If you read someone's autobiography, if you look at somebody's leadership style, there's lessons you can take from that that can serve as mentorship nuggets. But I don't think that every leader or let me say every person in leadership is a leader, you know, and and that distinction needs to be made when you're choosing the people that you're wanting to learn lessons from. What are the common denominators that you're identifying are key to brilliant mentors? So brilliant mentors for me, firstly, are people that have time to commit or are willing to commit and make the time, you know, so no matter how busy you are, you're prepared to find the time in your schedule to offer support and advice in some capacity. And then secondly, there are people that have passion. You know, there are certain people that you meet that are just invested in you succeeding and there's there's nothing special that you've done. It's not about, you know, you're my relatives, this person. It's just, I meet you, there's a connection and I want you to succeed. And I think that's such a rare and special thing in people that are really good mentors, that they are so invested in your success. And they kind of almost find it annoying that people would fail at certain things when somebody else can guide you through that process, you know? And I think people that have that kind of disposition automatically make good mentors, you know? So whatever it is that they're going to share with you, the fact that it's built on that foundation of passion and invested in you and being willing and able to dedicate time makes them a good mentor. Um, And then obviously on top of that is then their learnings and their experience, you know? So if it's within your personal capacity or personal matters, it's that person's lived experience in those areas. If it's in a professional space, it's that person's vocational career experience that then adds additional value to what they offer you as a mentor. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one. It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or the One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. I imagine there's some really interesting ways to use technology to solve for the matchmaking component of the right kind of mentorship relationship. Have you sort of interesting ways to use technology to kind of facilitate that chemistry better? I have thought about it. And I think that that's the, the difficult part for me when I think about the human connection, you know, so I think there's minimal things that you can do in terms of, you know, personality tests and then matching people based on their Enneagram profiles, for example, you know, that's something that technology can help you facilitate. And then obviously the, the, communication bit can be facilitated by technology. But there's just something about human chemistry that I don't think technology can make up for. And I don't think there's an algorithm for that. When you connect with a person, you either do or you don't. And that you can't fix for. But I mean, I think the soft skills that you want people to get in the mentorship relationship, that you can match easily through technology. 
Tell me about the learning that you've learned building the platform itself. What are some of the challenges been? What have you been excited about? What's sort of next on the horizon for the platform itself? So it's still very new at the moment, and I'm sort of building this plane while it's flying. So it's been quite interesting. At the moment, the interest has been, you know, when you have an idea, you don't really know how valid it is until you say it out loud. And so I've kind of been thinking about it for a while. I've been playing around with it. And then I put it out there. And the response was just phenomenal. And I personally just didn't feel ready for the kind of response that I received, which is fantastic. You know, so I had so many people asking me how they can be mentors, how they can jump onto the platform and start offering their support. So it was really great to know that there definitely is that gap in the market and people are interested in that. And then to your question just before on how do you actually do the matchmaking, I started thinking about that. And when you're thinking about creating something, you want to produce the most minimum viable product that doesn't cost you too much. So you can get feedback and kind of make the adjustments as you go. So it's been thinking about how do you create a virtual experience that people want to be part of that makes people want to commit their time, that makes people feel engaged in the transaction of information, but also just in being there, you know, and wanting to be there? Because I think you can easily have conversations on a webinar platform. So how do you create something that becomes a second home that people want to live on, you know, and I think it's been the challenge of trying to figure out how to create that virtual world that people want to participate in. And I think going forward, the challenge would be the global aspect, you know, so I say we're global, but we haven't infiltrated the global space completely. So it's in thinking about how do you then begin to connect people in different parts of the world, you know, so it's easy to say, I'm going to connect Mike with another entrepreneur in Germany, but what kind of entrepreneur, you know, how, how do we facilitate that process? So it's genuinely valuable for both parties. That's what we're trying to figure out and work through at the moment. Yeah, that's a really exciting prospect. And I suppose getting the right density of mentors just increases the possibility of a mentee finding, you know, the right role player. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the importance of, of visibility, right? So, I mean, one of the themes that popped up a lot for me in business and when I was running an agency is that it's really important for young, talented people to be able to look up to, follow, and aspire to the same successes of people that they can identify with, that remind them of their own paths and their own backgrounds and that kind of thing. And, And it can be quite difficult say, for example, for a young black girl from Soweto to look at me and go, oh, yeah, I can have that because there's these sort of mental barriers that that Mm. come into play. Do you think that mentorship can only happen if it's based around sort of common identity or do you think it's really easy to break those barriers as well and create new learning experiences? For me in that space, what becomes most important is the mindset of the mentee. So those barriers do exist and it can be difficult if you are not intentional about learning from anybody, you know. So what Mm. I like about and what I believe the benefit of different backgrounds is, is knowing what else could be available to you, you know. So I remember when I was in my third year of varsity, if I'm not mistaken, I entered a competition at university to win a mentor. And the mentor that I won was Jenna Clifford. And there was just absolutely no way from my background that I would have just ever met Jenna Clifford. And I remember going to her home office in Santon and 
just walking into that space and just being like, wow, like everything is beautiful. Like it looks like a movie. And there was like, I'm like, oh, and there's a dog by the fireplace. And oh, look at her, like a fine child. It's just like everything about it was just like ridiculous. I was like, this is not, like, this is completely unreal, you know? And then the pictures of people she had on the wall, you know, dignitaries, presidents, business leaders. I'm like, you've met all these people, you know? So as, as a 21-year-old, being in that space opened up a whole new world to me, you know? So being Black and female and, I suppose, from like a middle-income kind of family, that's not mm. that's not a connection that my parents would have gone, oh, hey, you should go over to Auntie Jenna and ask her about X, Y, Z. You know, like that just would have never been possible for me. But being in that space automatically opened my mind up to a world of possibilities. And I think that's the mm. value of being able to engage mentors from different contexts and equally I think it's very important to have a mentor who understands your personally lived context because you need somebody who can tell you how to overcome those very specific demographic challenges right you need somebody you know when you're the first person in your family to get a degree or to get a master's when you're the first person in your family to move out the township when you're the first person in your family to be able to buy a house and pay it off, you know, whatever those things are, you need a mentor who knows what that lived experience is and can help you navigate challenges within that same space that somebody who doesn't have that same context can do for you. And so I think it's it's important to find a balance, you know, so when someone's looking for a mentor to find someone who understands your context, whether it's your faith-based beliefs, you know, so I've actually gone through the process of finding female executives who share the same beliefs as me, because I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. So that's important. But, but I think also on the other side is finding people who can give you access to a world you would never engage in because you need to see what that looks like and start moving into spaces where that becomes a very real possibility for you, even if it's just for inspiration's sake as a start. And there's just something about being in that space that helps you lift the lids off yourself. So less about like either or and more about both and, but you're getting different things from those different relationships and from those different mentors. One might be a a very specific path that you can kind of reflect on based on your shared experiences, but the other one might be a a big perspective shifter. And both of those things are very powerful, right? 100%. I even think there's more to also learn from people who've, who've tremendously done things bad or wrong or failed you know so if you look at your family network there's people you can learn from just simply by looking at what not to do you know and and I don't think you should despise those lessons from those people because those are also helpful and valuable as well I also look at I mean as a speaker and as an entrepreneur there's a lot of spaces that I'm in that are dominated by white older men you know and I think if you walk into the room closed off you miss the lesson in that but I think there's a lot you can learn just from looking at the feminist movement can criticize boys clubs and I think boys clubs need to fall definitely but there's so much you can learn from watching boys in the boys club and go oh, okay I would do that differently I would change this I would move this around I would adapt those aspects of it to make what I'm trying to do work in this way. So for people who are listening who are either kind of in a mentorship relationship, maybe where they're not feeling like they have that groove together, that kind of chemistry, or for people that are looking to explore the possibility of either being a mentor or a mentee for the first time, 
you know, going back to our earlier discussion about lamingtons, is there a recipe for an effective mentor-mentee relationship? I mean, if you're a young, talented person climbing the ranks, looking for a mentor, do you just like reach out on LinkedIn or do you, you know, stalk somebody on Instagram? What? How do you, so let's take it from the mentee perspective first. How do you recommend to young people that they go about identifying and approaching the right mentor? Sure. So most important for me is to do the work. You know, there's nothing more irritating than somebody inboxing you or sending you an email asking you questions about things they could have found out on Google, you know. And oftentimes I find that mentors kind of shut down when you ask Google searchable questions. And if you're asking somebody to give up their time to invest in you, you want to show them that you've made the effort to do some research, to understand a bit better about what you might be trying to do and show them that there's a space for them to add value because you've done some of the work. So it's very important, firstly, to do the work on yourself in terms of what it is that you are wanting, you know, so don't do the open-ended, can you just be my mentor because I want to be successful. Yeah, that's not like, okay, and then what? You know, what What are you wanting to get out of this engagement? So you have to firstly yeah. for yourself decide where in your life are you looking for mentorship? You know, there's, if I think about life as a pie, there's about nine segments that you can chop your life into, you know, so your family and friendships, your personal development, education, your career, your finances, your health, and that's mental, spiritual, and physical, your finances, and so forth, you know, so pick a segment in your life that you're wanting or needing um, support yeah. in. So let's say, for example, career, a lot of people want great careers, looking at lockdown and COVID, a lot of people are going through a transitional p- period, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to pivot in the season. You know, so you might want a mentor to help you in your career. Fantastic. So you do a search. Think about the things that you're interested in, the sector you're involved in, the industry you want to be in. Think about the level of business you want to be in. So are you trying to become a manager, an executive? You know, so who's where, where exactly are you trying to go? And then start looking for people in that space. And you can easily do a LinkedIn search, you know, search job titles. Yeah within that space and find or even like in magazines you know so if there's like if you're an avid reader of Forbes or entrepreneur or whatever it is and people who are highlighted as thought leaders in those magazines you know there's many places you can go to find out who the people are or if you have an idea of the kind of company you want to work for you can easily just google a company and find out who is in that particular role at that company and once you've selected your list of people maybe five or ten people you get their contact details or you can go onto LinkedIn. So send them a message on LinkedIn. If you're able to get the person's email address, send them an email. Just, you know, introduce yourself, who you are. Tell them what it is you admire about them. You know, so what have you seen about them that makes you think they could be your mentor? And then tell them where you are and maybe give like three bullet points of what you're hoping they can help you through. And then ask them to be your mentor and then also give them an option to say no. I think that's very important um, to say, you know, I completely understand if you're busy and if you can't, you know, that's fine. What that allows you to do is that if we do respond, you can always say to them, I appreciate that you don't have the time, but can I take you out for a coffee just to have a chat? And I've also found that you can get so much in a one hour chat from someone who doesn't have the time to mentor you, but does need to have lunch at some point and will choose to have lunch with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's not a, an exact science, but that's sort of the way that I would work through that process. And you send out that communication to all those, your list of five or 10 people. I would say that it's better to get someone's email address just because 
people can be so inundated with requests on social media that they actually just don't read them. Mm. Um, so if you're able to get someone's email address, that's that's a better a better place to go. And also don't um, spam. <laughs> I think that's the best way to say it. You know, so send your email, and if you don't hear back a week later, just you know follow up and find out if they received your email and if they've given any thought to your request. That's really, really helpful advice. That's really practical. And I think both from my experience asking people for help or asking for advice or, or, or being asked for advice, there's that notion of intentionality that is so important, right? And tenacity, which I think you, you know, you've expressed so, so importantly there. Now, let's say you find the right person and you decide to embark on this kind of mentorship journey together. What are the key things that go into the recipe of a successful mentorship relationship? What would you advise people to do right up front and then during their journey? So firstly, I think very important to establish chemistry, you know, so a very loose conversation about who you guys are, where you come from, where you want to go. Just, you know, create that connection point that makes you both go, oh, this is so great. Like, I, I'm going to enjoy engaging with you, you know. And then secondly, establish intention, you know. So what do I need as the mentee and where am I wanting to go? And then what can I offer you as a mentor and where can I help you go? And how are we going to go about this engagement? You know, so then thirdly would be to agree, I suppose, on how you're going to engage. You know, do you guys do emails yeah how do we do our feedback and so forth you know so have those general things set up at the very beginning firstly to manage yeah. expectations that's very important and then secondly to be agreed on how to engage so that no one is overstepping barriers or anything like that you know so you could have you could have a mentor and there's great chemistry and they're super happy to help with your career but they might not feel comfortable discussing their personal life with you you know that needs to be figured out in the chemistry kind of conversation. So you, you kind of know what, what's the scope of things you can, like how familiar can you be with your mentor? Because you, you do want to avoid offending somebody by asking a personal question that they don't feel you have any business knowing about. So in your chemistry conversation, that's what you want to figure out. But also from the mentor as well, you know, because sometimes as the mentor, you might be helping somebody with their career, but the things actually limiting them in their career aren't career-related things. It might be, personal mindset, family related things. And you want to know that you have the authority, not not from a I'm older wiser kind of perspective, but the authority as in permission from the mentee to speak into that area of their life, you know? And I think the chemistry conversation helps you to establish that. If you know from that, that, you know, if this person would be open to you saying to them, you know, the reason why you're struggling with this is actually because you have this really bad relationship that makes you sabotage everything or whatever it might be you know that you 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 have leeway to have that kind of conversation i think those three things being established right in the beginning just helps everything else flow smoothly and then what's very important is that if your mentor tells you stuff or gives you feedback on something go implement the actions and then give feedback you know so it's nice to know that you've actually done the things we've spoken about and I haven't spent an hour of my time and there's no results from it, you know? Um, so take notes in the meeting so that, you know, you look like you're serious and that you intend on remembering what's, what was spoken about. And then afterwards, you know, make the time to send that email, however long that process will take you, but send it. And even if you haven't met the end result, send an email to say, Hey, I'm busy with this particular thing. This is how it's going. Thanks for that tip. Or, you know, thanks for that advice. This is how I've put it into action. And that kind of feedback really creates 
good value in the relationship, but also creates a feedback loop where even if you're not meeting with your mentor in person, they can always just pop your WhatsApp or an email to help you on the journey as you implement whatever the feedback is. Having great conversations is a little bit like running. We all grew up running to a greater or lesser degree, you know, running around everywhere. Toddlers, we didn't stop running. And we also all grew up talking. But if you want to be a serious runner, you need to train and you need to be intentional and you need to think carefully about it. And conversation is kind of the same, especially in a meaningful relationship like this. You really want to think about structure. You really want to think about, as you said, expectations, goals, uh, alignment, values, parameters, boundaries. These things are so material to getting the most out of that time for both parties. I know when I read, and I'm sure you've read it too, but Nancy Klein's Time to Think, which speaks a lot about thinking partnerships and how to contract for helpful conversations. It's just such an instructive and powerful book when thinking about how to, how to do that kind of work well, you know, just doing conversation well. I think that, you know, it's an, it's an underestimated and undervalued skill, isn't it? It definitely is. A lot of people, I think because we talk every day, you think you're doing it. But there's a, a huge difference between talking, talking, giving instructions, talking, giving feedback on, you know, a particular action versus having deep, meaningful, constructive, directive conversation. That's very different. And not a lot of people do that every day. And not a lot of people talk deeply and not a lot of people think deeply. And that's a skill. And that's sort of the best frequency you can get into in a mentorship relationship is when both parties are talking, thinking and giving feedback from a deeper place. Well, speaking of meaningful conversations, this one has flown by <laughs> and I just really want to thank you and Siki, you've been absolutely fantastic. And again, just so like generous with your wisdom and your experience for people that perhaps want to get, get a little bit more information about your book. How do they sort of connect with the content you've created or connect with you online? What's the best way to reach out to you? Sure. So I will say I live on Instagram. It's my first favorite platform. So if you need anything, just send me a direct message on Instagram. And that's Nziki underscore Mkize. And then you can DM me about getting a copy of my book and we can arrange a shipment to you. Or if you are a digital reader, you can get your copy from Amazon. And that is my hall of mentors. And you can find a copy of that on Amazon. Amazing. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope we start seeing some spring come through soon. But yeah, I really appreciate your time. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and just connecting. And I really hope that everybody listening to this also walks away with great value and insights they can implement. You're a star. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks, bye. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, a one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.